Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba, and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. Hello Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast it gives me great pleasure to introduce this individual on the show today. He made 268 appearances for the club, scoring 7 goals. He won 3 trophies for Chelsea, winning the 2nd Division Championship twice in 84 and 89, plus the full Members' Cup in 1986. Here is Joe McLaughlin. Joe, welcome to the Blue Day podcast, how are you? I'm good Keith, thank you, thanks for having me on. Joe, it's an absolute pleasure, honestly. Thank you for for your time. I want to start the interview, if I can, by asking, did you have any particular influences when it came to deciding to become a professional footballer? Yeah, I think there was a there was a, obviously when I was growing up, there was there was lots of players that you kind of liked, you know, Kenny Dalglish, and you know, I was lucky enough to play against Kenny when he was at Liverpool. Um, Billy McNeil was a was a big idol of mine, and uh, so was John Gregg, believe it or not. You know, so he was the Rangers captain. Billy McNeil was the Celtic captain, but I kind of admired them both because they both played for Scotland, and you didn't really see a lot of football on TV back in those days, Keith. You know, so you know you maybe saw the Scotland England game on telly. You know, you, you saw you didn't see a lot of games. So uh, I used to go and watch my local club, Morton, which is where I came from. Uh, the club I joined Chelsea from. Uh, and obviously there was players that played for Morton that, that I admired. In fact, some of them uh, I still see when I go to the odd game at Capital. There was a, a guy called uh, Billy Osborne, Sugar Osborne as he was called, because he worked in the sugar refinery as well as playing football. So he was called Sugar Osborne and he was a bit of a legend. Uh, and I still I seen him at the game a few weeks ago. Uh, and a guy, Alan McGraw, who lives not too far from me, believe it or not. Um, Alan McGraw, again, another Morton legend uh, in the kind of 60s. I mean, I was born in 60, but his his kind of ultimate 67 was his kind of era, 67, 68. But Morton were in the, the first cup and, believe it or not, played Chelsea in the first cup way back, I think it was 68, 69. Um and my dad took me to the to the game at, at Morton at Capolo. Um, so I always had, and believe it or not, 
I also had a wee bit of affinity. People all say, oh, yeah, I supported Chelsea. You know, I love Chelsea. You know, I support, I, I did, because when Morton played them, I loved the Chelsea kit. It was, I think they were playing in, Morton, I think, were playing, I'm not too sure if it, I might be wrong, back in the day, the away team wore the, their home kit and the home team had to wear a kind of change kit. That might have been in the kind of late 60s. But um, I remember Morton wearing a kind of luminous yellow kit in Chelsea, wearing the the, 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 the blue, the blue, blue shorts with the, the big white strip. And that Christmas, Santa unbelievably brought me a Chelsea kit. Can you believe that Santa would know that I would want a Chelsea kit that year? So <laughs> in 68 or 69, you know, and bear in mind I'm only eight or nine, you know, so, you know, Santa was still a big thing. And I got my first ever kit was a Chelsea kit, which was amazing, you know. So when you tell that story, people just start throwing up, you know, oh, yeah, it's really cringy, you know what I mean? Well, it's actually true, you know, that was my first ever kit was a Chelsea kit. So um, it was kind of, it was nice, you know, when I, when I joined Chelsea because I still love the kit and I still I still love the kit, you know what I mean? I loved all the kit that we had. Maybe not the Chelsea collection one um, that was designed for one year. It was, it was a wee bit, you know, um, kind of cheap nylon-y stuff, you know what I mean? But, Listen, it, it was it was great. It was an honour just to, to play for Chelsea. Was an honour. That's the thing, you know, to play for a, a club so big, you know. And again, coming from a small small club, although in saying that, Morton were in the, the Scottish Premier League at the time, so we weren't. I wasn't coming from the the, the lowest Scottish league to Chelsea. You know, I was coming from the highest Scottish league to Chelsea, who were in the second division. You know, which I actually was thinking, hmm, did I really want to join Chelsea? Because Arsenal had come in and put an offer in, which the club had turned down. So Terry Neal was the manager of Arsenal, you know, and I was thinking, right, OK. Celtic had come in and made an offer. And again, I'm not Celtic or Rangers or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a religious person who want to join a club because of religion or because of that. But back in those days... That was the way it was, believe it or not. You know, it would have been... Rangers wouldn't have come in for me back in those days, and that's a fact, you know, because it just didn't happen. Morris Johnson probably would, you know, the first guy who ever played for Celtic Rangers, you know, that kind of religious kind of breakthrough. But it was, again, I was delighted that Celtic had come in for me because growing up here and Billy McNeil being... being one of my idols. He was the manager of Celtic at that time, so it was it was good, and I was having a good. My career started off quite well, and had clubs interested. I'm not saying I, I wanted to leave Morton, but that was the whole kind of ethos of the club. They sold players. They, they brought young players through the youth system and sold them. The year before, my friend Neil Orr, he had gone to West Ham for three hundred and fifty thousand, which. In 1982, was an unbelievable amount of money, you know? Um, and I was supposed to go that year too, but again, it all kind of fell through. And then the following year, um, as I say, there was a few clubs getting mentioned, Newcastle, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, all these kind of clubs were kind of coming in again. Um, and 
Celtic again were still sniffing about. But I actually thought I was going to sign for Celtic because I'd, Bill McNeil had spoken to me <laughs> when we played Celtic in a game. He'd pulled me after the game and said, look, we want to sign you, blah, blah, blah. You know, back in those days, that was that was a kind of acceptable, you know what I mean? You know, and I was absolutely over the moon because here's a guy, centre-back, Scottish international, he wants to sign me, you know, and I just thought that would be a great move. Um, anyway, he also wanted to sign Pat Nevin. So and he, he told me, this, I'm going to sign you, I want to sign Pat Nevin, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I didn't really know Pat, you know, I'd heard of him, but I didn't really know him. Um, anyway, long story short, Bill McNeil then phones me back and he said, look, this is all falling through. He said, the board are not going to pay the money, you know, and I think it was a hundred grand more, more looking for. That was their kind of, they, whatever had happened, they got offered, they turned down 300,000 the year before from Arsenal. And now they're going to accept a hundred thousand from Chelsea uh, from Celtic, but Celtic are not going to pay the money. They said because one of the directors didn't didn't want me and Pat Nevin didn't think we were good enough to come. So Bill McNeil, obviously, he's been undermined massively. So Bill McNeil is now thinking if I can't sign players that I want to sign, you know, I'll be leaving. Now this is this is true. Bill McNeil told me this on the phone. He said if I can't sign you guys. I'll not be here. And I was like, right, okay. What do I do now? So that's me kind of limbo, you know, Celtic. Literally by chance, the manager said, he just had another phone call from the assistant manager at Chelsea, Ian McNeil. Would that be interested uh, in coming down and having a look around Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. They're prepared to pay the money. Never seen, never seen me play. Only seen me play on on TV, and in the Scottish Under Twenty Ones. So they'd never actually come and come up and watch me in, in a Premiership game in Scotland. But they spoke to Jock Steen, who was a Scotland manager, and Jock Steen apparently gave me a good report. So that was good enough for John Neil, sadly dead, and Ian Neil, sadly dead as well. Um, and they signed. Uh, sorry, they, they were looking to sign a whole new team, a whole, they want to bring in as many players as they can, so uh, and I was on the list Pat Nevin was on the list yeah. uh, a few others Kerry Dixon, Dave Speedy, mm-hmm. Spackman, you know, these records so they're telling me all these names and I had no idea other than Pat Nevin, you know so, me and my wife were like, what do we do, you know we're going down to London to meet you know, this guy from Chelsea, but Bill McNeil's still saying the, the, the deal at Celtic might be on and what do you do? So Bill McNeil actually said, Joe, go down to London and you know, have a good weekend, listen to what they've got to say. You know, I'll know more on Monday or Tuesday whether this is going to happen or not. You know, if I can if I can't get you in Pat Nevin, I'll not be here. He said, but you know, you you need to have something else lined up. So I goes down to we go down to London, have a weekend, great weekend, you know, wind and dine. John Neal was one of the nicest men, you know, nice and a great manager, I must admit, you know, um, just an unbelievable guy. Coaching, everything's changed, obviously, but, you know, John Neal and Eamon Neal were really, really good people, you know, and that was it. You know, you could tell they were good people. Uh, and I really wanted to sign for them, but at the same time, 
I'd already kind of half agreed to sign for Celtic. So that was at the back of my mind. And I was, then Bill McNeil, actually I was in the Lily Hotel, which is on Lily Road, or I don't know what it's called now, but it was the Lily Hotel, the shittiest hotel in London, I must admit. <laughs> you know, so um, we, weren't, we weren't in the, the Dorchester or the, you know, the whatever. We were in the Lily. Um, so um, got a phone call from Bill McNeil saying, Joe, he said, I'm leaving. He said, I'm, I'll be resigning on Monday. And I was absolutely shocked because it was like, you know, I kind of hummed and hawed about Chelsea and I'm not, you know, not sure, you know. So anyway, Ian McNeil, again, half an hour later, Ian McNeil phone said, right, what were you doing? Are you, are you signing? Are you, you know, whatever. So I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, you know, I'll be signing, you know what I mean? So Monday morning, we go into Stamford Bridge and, and sign the deal, you know. But again, if Bill McNeil had, had said, mm, I'm, I'm going, I still want you, know, I'll get you, then I would have probably have gone back up to Glasgow, you know, which was kind of not, not saying, it was just the way it seemed to, it was going to work out, you know, that I, I'll play for Celtic, I'll hopefully get a Scotland cap. Um, but as it turned out, signed for Chelsea that day. Uh, I think Pat Nevin came down the next day from Clyde um, and we kind of met. But as I say, met Nigel Spackman, Dave Speedy, Kerry Dixon, all the guys, all that kind of group that signed, kind of met them. But it was really, John Neal, as I say, I was so pleased, you know, that it, it worked out that way. You know, and people think, I was I was disappointed that it never worked out for Celtic, but, you know, Celtic or Chelsea, you know, Celtic and Chelsea, I mean, you know, to me, the fact that Chelsea were in the second division and almost got relegated to the third division, I probably wouldn't have signed, obviously, if they'd have got relegated to the third division, because... They were a kick in the arse off again, relegated to, you know, the, th- the old third division, which, the, I mean, who the who would have thought that could have happened, you know what I mean? But they escaped, and, as I say, with the, with the the new kind of squad that John Neal was, was looking to build, you know, I still, I still thought Chelsea were still one of the biggest clubs in England, you know, and... Obviously, they are one of the biggest clubs in England. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of strange the way it all kind of worked out. But um, that first year was, I mean, it was an amazing year. You know, to have all those new players and we all gelled so quickly. Um, and yeah, I mean, arguably, that was one of the most memorable years in my whole career. You know, that that first year. At Stamford Bridge, okay. People say, you know, oh, it was League Two. You know, I mean, you know, Chelsea were shit. You know, well, were we? You know, what I mean, you know, we actually cruised that league. You know, what I mean, we we destroyed it, and then, you know, okay, Sheffield Wednesday ran as close, but you know, we're still us and Sheffield Wednesday were so far ahead. It was it was ridiculous, and then the next year, Keith. We actually thought we were going to win back-to-back titles, you know, and every single one of us, you know, believed that we could win 
the first division or the Premiership as it is now. You know, so I don't know the exact stats, but um, I know there's been a few. I think there's only been two teams that have won League Two and then League One. You know, successive type successive years. Um, so I'm not saying we were talking about it, but we all believed that we could win the first division. You know, and I think we finished sixth that year, unfortunately. But we all had that belief that we would win back-to-back titles or we could win back-to-back titles, you know, which, you know, might sound a bit daft, but, you know, there wasn't a one game that certainly I went out or, you know, and I know, you know, Kerry and Eddie and Pat, we all went out believing that we could win every game, whether it was Arsenal or whether it was Man United, you know, Liverpool, we went out knowing that we could win the game, you know what I mean? And, that was the kind of mentality that that I think was in that squad for those three or four years that we were all together. Um, so, you know, we were really disappointed that we didn't win the league and you know, we didn't win the first division. You know, that would have been massive. But I think we lost at home to West Ham. It was Easter, Easter weekend. We were third. And I think we lost to West Ham on the Saturday. And then Easter Monday, we lost six. six we lost 4 1 to West Ham on the Saturday at Stamford Bridge, which was a blow. Um, and my old my old mate, Frank McAvenny, McAvenny and Cotty, who were a formidable partnership, to be fair. You know, West Ham were no mugs. Um, you know, some Billy Bonds, I mean, there's a, what an idol he was, Billy Bonds. I think he was about 43 when, you know, in that game and still charging about. Uh, and he lived in Bromley, fun enough. I used to see him in Bromley quite a lot. But, um, but yeah, to to lose that weekend, that kind of burst the bubble a wee bit because losing six, I think it was six nil. I hate to say it, <clears throat> the, the highest defeat, six nil. It might have been seven. You need to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Easter, 83, 84, QPR, Playing, playing on the car park because it was the worst surface in the whole of football, not just English football, it was the worst ever. Um, just 1G um, astrograss. So it was honestly like playing on concrete. Yeah, now, I'm not saying that's the excuse, but you know, when you play on that surface with a pair of training shoes on, you know, but I couldn't wear those, you know, Pat and, you know, the, the ball playing players were fine. But when you're six foot three and, you know, 200 odd pounds, then moving about on that, that surface is hard. But anyway, Steve Francis was in goal. I just remember Steve Francis, and unfortunately, Eddie must have been injured. I don't think it was his, his, his serious injury. I'm not too sure. Um, but I know Steve Francis was in goal for those two games, and I'm not blaming Steve Francis at all. Steve Francis was an excellent goalkeeper, but to come in, you know, for those two big games, and then to lose four one and six, it might have been seven. I hate to say that six sounds a, a wee bit better than seven, um, but you know, um, that weekend destroyed the chance of winning the league back to back. You know, what I mean, so that was a bit of a bit of a a balloon buster but um, but 
QPR, how they got away with playing on that surface. The only reason that they won games was because they trained on it. They were used to do it. It was ridiculous. It was the worst surface. You know, I mean, everyone came off with knees bleeding, hips bleeding, you know, because you, you slipped on it. It was like basically being on concrete. I mean, it was that bad. But listen, if you were a couple of, they had a couple of good players, Gary Bannister and um, John Byrne, you know, these guys were, these guys were good. You know, the QPR were no mugs. Um, Steve Wicks was playing, I think, that day. Um, Alan McDonald, I think Alan's sadly dead. Um, but they had a lot of good players. Um, so it was a bit of a disgrace to lose by quite big scores. Um, but again, it was their first year in, in the top division. And I think we, we acquitted ourselves pretty well. You know, all things being equal, I think we, we did pretty well. We were just so disappointed not to win back-to-back titles. And that was something that we all spoke about, you know what I mean? We could have been one of the, the only other clubs to win back-to-back second and first division titles. Who does that, you know what I mean? It's, you know, and they were trying to kind of think, but someone said Forest, but I don't think Forest, I know they won back-to-back European Cups, but I don't think they won the second division and the first division. I don't, I'm not too sure, but I'm, I know there's been a couple of teams who have done it, but um, but yeah, it was just just great memories, you know. Just a couple of things that you mentioned during that that I just wanted to bring up. You mentioned the likes of Pat Nevin and Kerry Dixon as well because they came in that same summer. What are your memories of playing in the same team as those two individuals? Again, all the guys that came in that year. I mean, Kerry and I are still good friends. I mean, although he, I messaged him the other day then and he's, he bumped it. But um, Pat, as I say, I've been down to the club a few times to games. Uh, Pat and I signed on the same day, Keith, as, as, as I've already said. Um, and we actually shared a house for several months in Hemel Hempstead, believe it or not, which is, you know, Hertfordshire borders. Um, it was nice, but it was um, it was a wee trek to the training ground because the M25 wasn't even open then. So um, through the country roads through Denham, Buckinghamshire and all these kind of places and along, I think it was the A40 and, and towards Heathrow Airport. Um, so it was a wee trek to get to the training ground. But um, yeah, Pat and I shared the house because my wife was still working. So she was up here, we were selling the house. So she was up here, I was down there. Pat was single. So me and him were, were cutting about like, you know, two kings. Um, but so, I mean, Pat was a phenomenal player. You know, I'll be honest, Pat Nevin, unbelievable skill. I mean, just, yeah, just unique because there's not really that type of player anymore. You know what I mean? You know, Pat was, the, you know, the dribble, dribbling king. You know what I mean? You could never get the ball off him, you know, um, which sometimes upset Kerry and Dave Speedy. You know, because they were like, oh, Pat, come on, you know, you need to beat him for the 10th thing, you know, just cross it, you know, we'll, we'll try and score. Um, but uh, Pat, Pat with phenomenal ability. Um, but I think Dixon and, and Speedy would have rather 
someone just put the ball in the box a bit more often so they could score more goals. But they scored enough goals and Pat, Pat scored a, a good few goals. Although people always ask me about the worst penalty they've ever seen when he, he took a penalty against Man City. Um, and it's, you kind of see it now, you know. But Pat just stood with like not even a stride to the ball, just like one step to the ball. And um, he, he side-footed the penalty. And it was like, you know, you were looking at your, your watch to see if the ball was actually going to touch touch the, the, the net. But anyway, it wasn't going that fast. So the keeper managed to save it. He had a cup of tea, then he saved it. Um, but we were winning 4-1, so it didn't make any difference. But, you know, we would have rather beaten 5-1 than 4-1. Mm. Um, and I think we signed Clive Wilson, which, again, was strange. Clive was left back and Pat was kind of wide right. You know, so Clive must have had a good night that night or Pat had a bad night and Clive had an exceptional good night. So we signed Clive Wilson, who was an f- absolute brilliant player. I mean, brilliant. Full Members Cup final as well. Um, yeah, I know I shouldn't really mention the Full Members Cup final because Chelsea fans try and sweep under the carpet, you know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, it's not a Champions League, you know, or the Full Members Cup. You know, it was only 80,000 at the game, you know what I mean? So it was like, some somebody actually said there might have been 90,000 at the game because it was a pay-as-you-go pay kind of game. There was no tickets. There wasn't like an old ticket. You could come in and Wembley was, I mean, it was packed to the rafters. And again, you know, I've watched that a few times. It's a hell of a good game, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a really good game. You know, and again, I've said to a few people, uh, played in the cup final, beat Man City 5-4. People think it's Man City as they are today, you know what I mean? But they don't know. Um, they weren't the Man City they are today. But still, they were still a good enough. They were still a, a worthy team to get to a cup final. And Billy McNeil was the manager, which again was another kind of, you know, so him and I were talking before the game and, you know, Mick McCarthy, he end up. Uh, Mick McCarthy end up going to Celtic, but you know there was lots of really good players playing in that game, and I've watched a load that that cup final loads of times, and the standard of play is actually very very high. I mean, Pat Nevin was unbelievable. If you watch Pat Nevin in that game, just unbelievable. Kevin McAllister on the other side, Pat was on the left, I think that day. Um, but again, great memories of a cup final. And most people don't know, Keith, that we actually played the day before that. So you hear you hear people moaning about, oh, we played we played a game on the Thursday night, we've got a European game on the Thursday night, and then we had to play on the Sunday. Well, we had to play a league game on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. So did Man City. Man City played Man United on the Saturday. We played Southampton away on the Saturday. Um we won one nil. Guess who scored the goal? So yeah, so one 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 of one of my vital goals against no less Peter Shelton. So right. I was extremely happy that day. Yeah. I just scored the winner on the Saturday against Southampton. We've got a cup final the next day, but we're not thinking. We're not moaning, saying, "Oh, we've played on the Saturday. We've got to play on the Sunday as well." You know what I mean? Not one person said a word. We. Would I rather have not played the next day? But 
you know, and that was only in case you got an injury on the Saturday. You know, not because we were tired and we we weren't going to play. You know, and that that's what kind of spoils football. You know, they, they get they're so mollycoddled these days. You know what I mean? You know, they they're tired. You know, they but they get every bit of sports science, every bit of you know, every bit of help they can have to play well. You know, back in back in the day, it was just a much simpler game. You know, what I mean, it was just you know, yeah. you turn up, you train, you play, you play, you told to play. We used to play on Boxing Day. You know, so you play on a play on Boxing Day, you play on New Year's Day. You know, so you play back to back games quite regular, but. As I say, it was different times, but, you know, Kenny Dixon, to me, how he never... I know he went to the World Cup, but, you know, he never he never got a chance, you know what I mean? And his goal-scoring record, to me, was, was right up there with Lineker and, you know, and, I mean, I don't even know who else was ahead of him then, but, you know, he was the top scorer, you know, at least he got to the World Cup, but he just never really got a, got a chance to hmm. to say that. And you know, I guess Lineker, yeah, he, he was the guy in possession of the jersey, and you know. But I don't think I mean, to me, Kerry Dixon had as much about his game than Gary Lineker. You know, he Kerry was the fastest six foot two striker you've ever seen, and you know. That's undeniable. The guy was just electric. I've never seen him lose a sprint in the whole seven years I was at Chelsea. Because anyone who fancied taking him on, you know, he'd be quite happy, you know. So he was electric, you know. Was he the most skillful? Did he have Pat Nevin's skill? No. But does he need Pat Nevin's skill? No. He just needs to score goals and that's what he did I mean he could score goals from in the box outside the box with his head you know but he doesn't really want to keep the ball up and beat people and, and do all that you know it's like people say to me sometimes again you know you're one of the best with the ball in that way you know you were you know I don't need to be good with the ball you know I just need to defend I just need to stop Gary Lineker Mark Hughes Ian Rush, I just need to stop these guys from scoring, you know what I mean? That's my job, you know. I don't need to set up chances for Dave Speedy, Kerry Dixon, you know. That's up to the guys in front of me, you know what I mean? They're not, you know, I just need to defend and stop people scoring. That was my job and that was it, you know, very simplistically. But, say, you know, Kerry Dixon and Dave Speedy were a phenomenal partnership. You know, Dave Speedy, the best in the air, for somebody who was five foot five, you've ever seen. I mean, the guy was um, amazing, you know what I mean? And some of the goals that Speedy scored, and, you know, and I liked Dave Speedy. Mm. You know, I really did. Dave, Dave Speedy and I got on really well. Um, but I think, and hold on a second. I don't know if you can see. Yes, I can see that, yes. So, the accidental footballer, right? So, um, this was given to me by 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 a guy who works in a local park. Yeah, right, which is bizarre. I mean, absolutely bizarre. 
That book's been you know, quite a few times on the podcast. For those of you that would like to know, it is Pat Nevin's autobiography called The Accidental Footballer. Of course, we had Pat on the show a few months ago um, talking about his book, but also talking about his Chelsea career. And so the book is still available if you want to buy it on Amazon. Or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not plugging his book, by the way. No, I didn't say you was at all, no. Oh, hold on. Sorry, that, I'm not plugging his. So I've got this book by, by a guy I played with. Um, it was given to me by the guy in a local park. So I'm running around the park. The guy in a tractor comes up and I'm thinking, right, you know, stops the tractor and he's like, you're Joe McLaughlin, are you? And I was like, yeah. He said, oh, my, my, my wife is your, your uncle's, some, one of them, kind of your uncle's nephew, some, right, okay. So he's kind of almost related to me. He's an English guy, which again, it's fine, you know, he's up here. <laughs> and he said, I'm reading Pat Nevin's book and you're in it. And I was like, I'm in it. And I was like, I said, yeah, we lived together for seven months. Oh, he never said that. He just said, um, you and Dave Speed had a fight at the training ground. Now, I've not read this, Keith. I must admit, it, it kind of props up my printer. My printer's kind of hanging off the back. So that, that inch kind of props up the printer a wee bit. But... Pat, I will read it at some point. Okay, so I will get around to reading it. So don't worry, it's, it's there. But he never mentioned the fact that we lived together for seven months. But he did mention the fact that Dave Speed and I had a fight at the training end, which I find... You know, I don't know what page it's on, but you know, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm actually going to look at it later on and find out what page it's on. But it makes out as if Dave Speed and I didn't go on. But Dave and I were good friends. I got on well with everyone. But yeah, we had arguments. We've, we've, I think that's what that's what made us so competitive. That we all drove each other on. We all moaned each other. Dave Speedy was the moaniest guy in the team, you know, by a country mile. But he played for Scotland. I mean, you look at Dave Speedy's career: Liverpool after Chelsea, Liverpool, mm. Scotland. You know, all these guys were on the, the periphery of international football and most of them played in their national team. You know, Joy Jones, Mickey Thomas, heading his wiki. You know, if you go through that team, the, the ones that never played in international teams, you know, you, you wonder why. I mean, I was in a few Scotland squads but never got, never got selected to play. But I look back and I think, well, McLeish and Miller were the partnership for years. Aberdeen, you know, they went. Alan Hansen was the next one. And then I might have got a mention as the kind of fourth choice. Mm. So I had three guys in front of me, you know, who were exceptionally good. Um, Alan Hansen, to me, was he, he is the epitome of what centre-backs are now because he could play with the ball. He was the best bar none because he was a he could defend, he was quick, he could come out from the back. So he was the modern day centre back back in the 80s. And that's but Alan Hansen, he couldn't even get a, a regular game for Scotland because of McLeish and Miller. So, you know, as good as Chelsea were doing, I wasn't really I was disappointed, but it wasn't like, you know, I'm disappointed because 
there's a couple of guys who are shit playing in front of me. These guys were good. So, you know, you just had to accept it. You look at Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce never won a single cap. And he won a B cap. He never, he never, he never got an international cap. And he was arguing, arguably Man United's best player for a couple of seasons. You know, Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce never went to England. Gary Pallister did. Bruce never. You know, and then you look at Colin Pates. You know, me and Colin Pates were the kind of preferred partnership for the first few years. Colin Pates was arguably, again, he was a modern-day centre-back. Pates had unbelievable skill. Colin Pates was up there with the most skillful players at the club, but he was a left-sided centre-back. You know, so it was Colin left side, I was right side. You know, I was the big number five. He he was the silky one. He, you know, that was the way it kind of was. You know, but as I say, um, playing for your country, you know, you would have thought a lot of people uh, expect you, you know, you should be playing for your country. You're, you know, you're Chelsea, you know, doing, but again, it was just one of those things. But, you know, Pat Nevin, Dave Speedy, Scotland players, you know, so nearly every other guy in the team who's playing for the country. Nigel Spackman again, unfortunately. Nigel, I don't think he got a cap, but he was good enough, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, but there's probably three or four other guys who along those times were good enough too, you know, but so many good players in that squad, Keith, it's, it's kind of hard, but um, I'm going to read Pat's, Pat's book, The Accidental Football. I'm going to ask him about that as well the accidental footballer. So it didn't seem too much an accident. You know, I mean, I could have maybe said that accidental footballer, but he can't because he had, he had unbelievable ability, you know? So I'm wondering what was the accident? Was he wanting to be a rock star? Was he wanting to be an artist? You know, what was the, what was the accident, you know, that caused him to be a footballer? So that's going to be my question to Pat and Evan (laughs) when I, when I read the book. I'll just put that under, keep the printer up again. There you go. Yeah. Um, aye, so we, we had a very fortunate to have a very good team for a, for a good few years. Well, I wanted to ask, actually, uh, in regards to that team, the, part of your debut season, the 83-84 season, one of the highlights of that season, Chelsea got promoted, but we beat Leeds United in our last home game, I believe. It was 5-0 at Stamford Bridge. You've summed up a, just a few of those players, but in general, how good was that team from the second division going going back into the first division under John Neal with John Hollins there as well? What what sort of your of your memories of that particular season? Yeah, as I say, I, I think that team obviously acquitted itself very well. The the year we came up and when we played in the first division. We, we did exceptionally well, you know, and you say, you know, I forgot John Hollins, you know, so John Hollins was an integral part of the team in that first year, right back. I mean, I learned a lot from John Hollins. Um, and sad as this might sound, things went, started to go bad when he took over as manager. He took over as manager. John Neal got moved upstairs and then, the whole balance of the squad, everything changed. Because looking back, I mean, I was 22, 23. 
Um, John Hollands was 37, 38 maybe. Still quite young to be taking over as the manager. He wasn't going to play anymore. So you've lost a right back. You've lost a player. You know, I think he could have played on because he was a fit guy. He could have probably played another year. Um, but the whole, basically just the whole balance of the club started to, to shift because John Hollands wanted to bring in some players. John Neal wasn't happy about moving upstairs and quite rightly so. You know, so things started to not fall apart, but when you start bringing in players and moving players and, you know, Steve Wicks was brought in, you know, and started bringing, and look, Steve Wicks is a really good player, but none of us felt we needed Steve Wicks because, you know, he wanted to play Colin Pates at left back, he wanted to play Steve Wicks and myself, you know, it just upset the whole balance of the squad. You know, and he brought in, you know, a really nice man, Ernie Wally was was a, a really nice guy. But talking about a guy who I'm not saying I say he was a nice man, but he wasn't the right for that squad. You know, that squad were doing fine, you know. They didn't need to be, you know, attacked or or fitter or you know, everything was going along pretty good. But suddenly we weren't fit enough. Suddenly we were training more. Suddenly we were, we were, the training was all changed. It was more, it was more just running. There was, you know, there was, there was more, there was less football. There was more running. There was, there was more fighting. There was more people upset. There was, it just wasn't at the same place, you know. So things started to go downhill from there. And that's a fact. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as enjoyable to to come into training every day as it was. But listen, you're getting paid to go and do it. You know what I mean? You just go out, and I'm not saying that was every day. Or you know, it was just things had changed, and when things that are going well get get changed for no real reason, that was a big mistake. And I think Ken Bates made a big mistake. You know, moving John Neal upstairs that year was a mistake and giving John Holland the job too early. You know, another year would have done the world a good because we would have solidified even more. But again, to start bringing in new players and breaking up that kind of team was kind of pointless, mm. you know? Uh, and that was, that was my kind of big, biggest criticism of what happened early on. Now, that upset other players, so other players were getting bumped out, you know, and people were getting more money. And it, unfortunately, Keith, most things, as, as the unhappiness descends, most of it was down to money. Because, you know, these are the things when you're not getting paid a lot, and Chelsea weren't big payers back in those days. It was big, big money compared to what, I mean, I was getting £150 a week up here and I went down to Chelsea for £450 a week, which to me was, was a, it's a no-brainer, you know what I mean? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a good salary. No, £150 a week. My dad was earning £150 a week working in the container terminal, you know. So £150 a week up here, I was, I was getting that to be a footballer, he was getting that to be 
a labourer in, in the container, the, the docks. But I go down to Chelsea and I'm getting £450 a week, not realising that at the time that house prices are about 10 times higher than, you know, down there than they are up here. So you do need that £450 a week was about the same as to get £150 a week up here. Anyway, that being said, what can, I, again, upset a lot of things? We were all on low contracts. I don't know, I've not listened to Pat's podcast, but, you know, Pat Nevin was one of the kind of integral parts of not causing me to be unhappy, but opening my eyes a wee bit. So Pat and I were good friends. We were all on roughly the same money, according to Ken Bates. 400, 450, 500, blah, blah, blah. That's Because players back then, you people want to tell you what they're on for enough. People want to tell you I'm getting, you know, like Kerry would openly say he's the highest paid player at the club. He's a striker, fair enough. You know, that's <clears throat> that's great. Some people would never tell you, like Eddie and his wiki, Eddie, Eddie's godfather, my kids, and I'm godfather, his kids. Eddie would very guarded. Eddie would never talk about money. Very, you know, he was, he was, he was less open than a lot of us. Anyway, so the money side of it came up. So when John Holland started signing these players, there was a few people starting to blab out what they were getting paid, and it was like, what, you know. So they're bringing in these new players on loads more money than we were getting. So Ken Bates had a problem. He's then got to start saying, right, I need to, Pat Nevin's got a four-year deal. Joe McLaughlin's got a four-year deal. You know, they're in their third year now, you know. So new contracts were getting laid out on the table. But back in those days, you know, it's like your contract, you were tied to that club for life almost, you know what I mean? So... You know, the Bosman ruling wasn't even out then. So your contract was your contract. And it was it was kind of weird. You know, restraint of trade kind of comes to mind. You know, you can't, you can't, you couldn't leave, your contract couldn't be up and you go and sign for another club. You know what I mean? You couldn't walk away. So you were tied almost. Anyway, so we all offered new contracts because we'd done quite well that second year. We'd all done quite well. And the, the third, so four years, so you're entering into your kind of third year of the contract. So Ken Bates gets everyone in to sign new contracts. So this is, we're getting more money, and rightly so. So, um, gets, everyone's got a, a time to come into Stamford Bridge to discuss a new contract. No agents back then, by the way. So, you know, agents were maybe just coming in and, you know, but no agents, no, nobody advising you about what to do. What, you know, you were just on your own. You know, just a, a guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll not. Whatever. So I remember Pat, um, Steve Wicks had signed, or Mickey Hazard. I can't mind. There was a few guys, and there was a lot of figures getting bumped about and stuff. You know what I mean? And we were on four hundred, four fifty. You know, whatever. But Ken Bates had said. This is what everyone's the bulk of the squad are on roughly the same money. So there's no nobody's going to get upset about the money and stuff and all that. So I remember uh, I'd just gone in, sat down with Ken Bates, who I got on really well with, by the way. You know, I had a lot of time for Ken Bates until you end up knowing you're getting played like a two bob guitar. So yeah, everyone's going to be on the same. So you're on 450, 
everyone's going to be on 650, 700, top man 750, which, don't get me wrong, I was pleased about. You know, I felt, I felt genuinely happy that you're getting rewarded, you're getting good money, you know, for what you've done. <clears throat> so Pat had been in before me and had signed. So I can't remember the, the secretary's name, Sheila Marston, I think her name was. So I'm just going to meet Ken Bates and Pat. No, sorry. I've already gone in. Ken Bates has told me everyone's on roughly the same. He said, there'll be, he said, Kerry might go on a bit more because he scores the goals. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, I've gone through the corridor to sign everything with Sheila Marson. Pat Nevin has has just gone in and signed. So, and this is this is something I, Pat might not remember, but I remember as clear as day. And that's the thing that started me on my mission, because as I'm walking to sign, Pat's come out and he said. Don't sign for anything less than nine fifty. And I was like, I'm walking into the room to sign the contract for seven fifty. And I've been told that everyone's on the same apart from Kerry. Well, clearly everyone's not on the same apart from Kerry. But it was almost like one of those moments in time you just wanted to say, What? You know, but that we corridor at Stamford Bridge is part walk by. Right, so I've gone in. So how can you... I'm unhappy. I've not even signed the contract. And in that split second, I'm going, what the fuck am I doing now? You know, am I signing this? Am I, you know... And I was like... And I was like, did I believe Pat? Or is he joking? You know what I mean? It's all, so in the end, and there's no mobile phones back then, you can't phone, you can't phone a friend, you can't phone, you, you know, and say, what do I do? So I signed the contract... I literally just signed it, walked out the door and my chin's on the floor because Pat's told me not to sign for anything less than 950. You know, now, should Pat have said that? Would If he never said that, I would have been none the wiser. Mm. Not on that day anyway. I, I might have been wiser through the week or in the next couple of weeks, but that was what it was like. I just signed a contract for another two years and I'm unhappy already. But then I'm thinking, why am I unhappy? I'm getting more money. So I'll try to see the, the benefits that, you know, but I've just, it's not that, I've just been, I've basically just been lied to. That's what I felt. I've just been lied to, you know, and, and I, I wasn't happy because Pat's getting more, not that I deserve more than Pat, but Ken Bates told us, you're all on the same apart from Kenny. Well, we're not all on the same, apart from Kerry. That's just nonsense. So, you know, that kind of put me on, right, okay, I'm going to try and play my best and see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. that was my kind of, right, I'm not, I'm not just going to lie down and take it. I'm going to fight and I'm going to play my best and try and see if, if somebody will buy you. That was, that was what I was going to do. And that's effectively what I did. You know, yeah, I was annoyed that Ken Bates could do that. But, you know, maybe Pat shouldn't have said anything. But he did, and it happened. And, you know, that that's what I kind of remember of how Chelsea kind of 
treated their players, you know what I mean? There was like that. It, it wasn't right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, Ken Bates is a businessman. He, you know, he got us all to sign these new contracts, you know, which, again, hindsight, I would never have signed a new contract. But, again, it was, you know, the money was good. I enjoyed being at the club. But it, it was starting to fall apart. And that was in the kind of third third year. Um, and again, mostly mostly down to the kind of the atmosphere. John Holland started bringing the new players. Steve Clark came in, Gordon Julian. Now, again, lots of Scottish guys, you know, and really good players, you know, Jukebox, you know, Steve Clark. Uh, we actually had a, a good amount of Scottish lads at the club at that time. You know, Craig Burley was coming through. Um, Billy Dodds um, but it was just there was something wrong within the club and the way it was being ran uh, training wasn't good you know as I say the boys weren't enjoying training and stuff and it just started to kind of disintegrate a wee bit you know which was un- unfortunate Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.